Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you that we are here. I ask now, God, that you would bless this time that we have together. Lord, I pray that you'd give us wisdom and direction as we look into your word and look into these stories from the Old Testament. Lord, help us to pull from them exactly the things you would have us to learn. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so uh, last week I introduced you to somebody. Who did I introduce you to last week? Amos. Excellent job, class. Amos. Okay. This week, I'm going to introduce you to uh, another person from the Old Testament. This person happens after the time of Amos. Um, Let me tell you something before I start. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to tell you exactly where I'm going to go today. Um, I'm going to talk about this concept, the phrase, the law of the Lord. I'm going to talk about just a little portion of that law. I'm going to talk about how we view that law. That'll take just a few minutes to get through that. I'm just, just a couple of things, just setting up some background information, Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a reminder of Jewish history, then I'm going to jump into our story with this new person today uh, that I'd like to talk about. Uh, I do have a little rabbit trail after that where I talk about teenagers, um, and then I will back into the story. When I get into that second part, there's some principles I think we can learn from that. Um, so let's start off here, the law of the Lord. The phrase, the law of the Lord, it's important for you to understand this as we get into our story. In the Old and New Testaments, if they talk about the law of the Lord, they didn't use the word the Bible. Like you can't open up the word, the the Bible and find the word the Bible, right? So they would use the phrase, the law of the Lord. In the New Testament, they'd say the law and the prophets many times. Uh, But in the Old Testament, if they were looking at, okay, a lot of those prophets had been written. And for a very long time, the only Bible they had was the law, right? The first five books of the Bible, the books that Moses wrote. It was called the Pentateuch, okay? That was the law. And so in the story that we're going to talk about today, if they refer to the law of the Lord, that's their way of saying the Bible. And for them, it was those first five books was the key element of what the Bible was at this time, okay? Um, I'm going to read to you now just a snippet from Leviticus, okay? And so some of you are going to go, I've never read Leviticus. You should. It's a challenge. Okay? You should read it, though. It's it's the law of the Lord. Okay? Um, Let me share some things with you because uh, there's different parts. There's actually a couple different parts that talk about what I'm going to share in just a moment here, where the Israelites had been in... Oh, this isn't on yet. There we go. Uh, The Israelites had been in Egypt as slaves. Moses was the one that was leading them out to victory, right, or to freedom, uh, to go into the promised land. You guys, a lot of you know that part of the story. In that process, the law was given through Moses. And one of the things that happens at the end of the law, every time the law is given, uh, God will then say, you you need to keep this law. Okay, so listen, here's here's one of those times where he says this. It's kind of a summary part. Leviticus chapter uh, 26 says, you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar. You shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Okay? These are the things. Kind of a summary. This is what we've talked about. If you walk in my statutes, God says next, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. 
Not the only time that God says this to his people, Israel. In Leviticus chapter 26, from verse um, five all the way down to verse 13, it continues to describe these things. God says, if you do this, I'll I'll give you more good things, some good harvest, good good stuff is gonna happen, okay? The land will produce, you will produce, okay? uh, uh, Enemies will be subdued, I will keep them at bay. You won't be taken captive by anybody else, on and on he talks about. But then, as a parent might do with their child, God then says to them, verse 32, I'm sorry, verse 14, he says, but, to this nation of Israel, this fledgling little nation, getting ready to go into the promised land. They don't have it yet. They're wandering in the wilderness. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then... God says, I will do this to you. And then he goes on to describe a bunch of bad things, right? Uh, The land will not produce this for you. You will have uh, droughts. You will have famines. The enemies will come in and they will get you. In fact, you go down to verse 32, he describes all these different ways that it's not going to go well. In verse 32, God says to this fledgling little nation, he says, and I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. So you're basically, the enemies are gonna come in, they're gonna settle it. You're gonna be out, they're gonna be in, and they're gonna be appalled. They're gonna look around and go, this is a horrible land. And they're looking at it like the promised land. And now they're, they, eventually this is what's gonna happen. It's gonna be so bad that by the time you're out and they're in, they're gonna go, ugh, okay? And we'll scatter you among the nations. I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. These people will be scattered. And this does, in fact, happen, okay? Because they do exactly what he says. Don't do these things. They, they do it. There's always hope, verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity, and the, oh, sorry. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, then I will remember my covenant, this promise, with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. Now, that last phrase might sound familiar to you, phrased a little bit different. There's a time, in fact, it was about 400 to 500 years after this. I mean, that's a lot. Think about time periods here, okay? Four to 500 years after this writing that Moses did, the nation had come in, there was, there was now king. And then there was another king, David, and he was a good king. And then his son Solomon, there was a time of prosperity. They were doing all the things that God, they they hadn't been under this other time, but now they were turning back to him and God was blessing them. And God reminds King Solomon, almost identical statement, he says to Solomon. He says, then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. The temple had just been built. It had been a tabernacle before. Now it's a structure. When I shut up the heavens uh, so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, and there it is, you've heard this one. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. 
Now, don't make the mistake. I have to throw this in here. Don't make the mistake that many do. This is a wonderful principle in here. But this is not talking about anybody besides the nation of Israel. That's his people. The closest connection we have with Israel today is the church, God's kingdom now. It's most definitely not a promise written to America. Okay? Are there principles that we can pull from that? Yes. And I'm not saying this to burst anybody's bubbles, okay? You might be going, I've been saying that about America for years. Okay, that's, that's, that's about Israel. There's some principles. I, I think there's great principles there. A nation choosing to pray, that's good. A nation, nation confessing their sin, that's good. But this is specifically about that. And like I said, I'm not saying this to burst anyone's bubbles, but I just find good Bible interpretation to be more important than feelings, okay? I apologize. Um, now, back to Israel. This nation to whom this was directed, another 300 years or so later, so about 700 up to 800 years from the original time of the writing of Leviticus, okay? We've got 400 years or so, Solomon is there. This is reinstated. Hey, let's do this. This is what you need to do. If you don't, this is gonna happen. The nation struggles. The kingdom is divided The Israelites have had the land. They've had Saul, David, and Solomon, but then it split. There's the north kingdom, the south kingdom. Uh, The southern kingdom is Judah. The northern kingdom is Israel. The northern kingdom, by the time we're in our story, now you remember with Amos, the northern kingdom was still there. Do you remember that? And Amos was saying, you guys need to repent. They didn't. Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Okay? Now, Southern kingdom. I'm almost done with the background. You guys with me still? This is important. Trust me, you will not understand this story if you don't get the setting, okay? You have to know this. In the southern kingdom, after a series of really bad kings, a good king came along and his name was, now I'm going to be honest with you, some of this feels a little bit like a Disney movie, okay? Along came a good king, King Hezekiah. Hezekiah came in and he, following after the the likes of his father, David, brought about reforms and was eliminating idolatry and establishing the kingdom again under God's law, okay? Very important story. I'm not gonna talk about him right now. He reigned for 29 years. His son's name was Manasseh. Manasseh was an evil, evil king. So, So honestly, as a parent, that's so sad when you hear about those things, isn't it? So sad. Um, Manasseh was an evil king. Basically, he was the final straw, and God said, this is, you guys are going to go to into captivity. This is going to happen. Um, Manasseh reigns for 55 years. After him, his son is Ammon, A-M-O-N, or Amon, however you want to say it, Amon. Uh, he reigns for two years. Ammon is... Uh, actually killed after two years by the officials of Judah. They kill him. And then they get killed by the people. So it's a horrible bloodbath that's going on. But then his son, even though he'd only been king for two years, his son comes to the throne. Now, this story is important to me because this is the story where I pulled a name. And so I'm going to introduce you to a new character today. I named one of my children after this Bible character. This king's name is Josiah, okay? 
King Josiah. So I'd like to introduce you to King Josiah. King Josiah ends up reigning for 31 years. King Josiah started reigning when he was eight years old. To give you some perspective, you guys have met JJ? He's six, okay? Imagine King Josiah, eight years old, comes to the throne, okay? He ends up reigning for 31 years. He ends up being, and this is why the story is so important, he ends up being one of the best kings that Judah ever has. In fact, it says in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 25, it says this, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to all the law of Moses. See, there's that, right? According to the Bible, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Might it be interesting to learn something about this king? Okay, let's take a look at him. Because I think that his impact on Israel extends beyond just Israel. In fact, there's an impact that extends into when they go into captivity, they had the law, and that's gonna be an important element here. You know, have you heard of Daniel, right? Have you heard of Ezra when they come back out of captivity and there's a reestablishment of doing what the law says? You can trace all of this back to Josiah's reinstituting the law. Now, rabbit trail. Um, I've had a couple of you tell me sometimes, you go, Matt, it's like you have all these little loose ends when you preach. And, and I'm like, what does that have to do with this and this has to do with that? Do you, are you feeling that today? A little bit? Like we're talking about Israel and we're talking about this King Josiah. And, okay, I'm going to bring in another thread off to the side here, okay? It's going to blow you out of the water. Um, a long time ago, there were children and there were adults, okay? Children actually became people because of Christianity. That's actually an interesting historical study. The reason why children were considered to be people and not just um, burned alive or thrown into factories and all these kinds of things is because specifically of Christianity came in and like, these are people too. We're still fighting that battle today, I think, with unborn children. But the idea of what children are, Christianity did. In fact, there's a book called How Christianity Made Children People. It's a great book. Um, but there's this new category that we have today. You may have heard of this breed of human. They're called teenagers, right? The idea of the teenager did not come about till the 1920s, Okay? It wasn't until the 1940s that the term was used. Maybe me thinking, why is this important, Matt? No, it, it is, trust me, this is important, okay? In fact, it's simple, really, why I'm telling you is, I, I don't believe, person, I'm gonna reveal myself, I don't believe the idea of a teenager is a good thing at all, to be honest with you, okay? It's good to be a kid. I don't mind that lasting as long as it can. But when you're done with the Legos, it's time to be an adult, Okay? And the teenager mindset has snuck in. In fact, there's an interesting element that the, the invention of the automobile played into that because suddenly kids could go where they wanted to go and be away from their parents. The teenager mindset, I think, has straggled in. In fact, trying to get, in the teenager mindset, trying to get as many privileges of adulthood as they can 
with none of the responsibilities, okay? That's really what it's turned into without us knowing it. Trying to get as many privileges as adults, but not as few of the responsibilities of adults. And that mindset has resulted in kids being kids a lot longer. Now, I don't mind if you retain a childlike spirit about you. I love that. A childlike faith, for example. A childlike wonder at the world when you look at creation. Those are good things. But being childlike is very different than being childish, if you know what I mean. For example, I'll give you something that's childish. This is a childish thought process. And once again, you may, this might step on your toes a little bit, but I'm gonna, we're getting back to Josiah in just a moment. Believing that your play time is more fulfilling or more important than your work time is childish. God created work before sin came into the world. He gives us work to give us purpose. And there's too many that look to their playtime as what's the most important things that they have. And it falls into little statements. I work so I can play. Honestly, not a good philosophy. Now, I'd like to give you some reasoning for this. In fact, if you have questions about this, I'm more than happy to talk about it. This is one of my most passionate topics that I ever talk about. As You guys know what my other job is, right? <laughs> no? <laughs> 20 years of doing that, working with teenagers. You know, uh, uh, side note, I, I've had a lot of kids over, over the years be like, man, Mr. Arnold, really appreciate you, love you, Mr. Arnold, whatever. You know, one of the things that I, I just, the simplest thing that I do with them that, that, that brings that out, I talk to them like adults. I just talk to them like adults. And you would be amazed at how just talking to them like an adult has a huge impact on how they view, they, they appreciate that. But pressing them then beyond that to say, not just talking to you like an adult, but it's time to act like an adult. Let's just do, I mean, I, you'd be amazed. You can talk to kids like I'm talking to you right now. In fact, I hate to burst anybody's bubbles, but um, most of my preaching is how I'd preach to teenagers, guys. Okay, all right. All right, now let's pull all this together into this story. King Josiah. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can look in 2 Kings chapter 22, but I've also put it up here for you. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse two says, after it says that he became king at eight years old, it says, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Young King Josiah. In verse three, I'm not gonna put it up there. In verse three, it talks about, he starts making renovations in the temple. He, starts, he goes to the high priest and he says, hey, I need you to take the money that you've collected from the giving and, and we need to start renovating the temple because it's, it's, I mean, think about 300 some years had gone by and maybe there wasn't that many renovations that were happening. So he's getting carpenters. It talks about carpenters and stonemasons and all these different people coming in and hiring them. And he gets the priest to hire these people to come in and start renovating the temple. Now, if you want to know what that's about, you can actually go to 2 Chronicles. So there's 1 and 2 Kings. 1 and 2 Chronicles tells a lot of the same stories. And sometimes you can find some extra insight in one or the other. If you go to 2 Chronicles, there's a little bit more insight as to where this came from. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles. Now, you can do some math here. How old was he when he became king? Eight. From the eighth year of his reign, how old would that have made him? 16, excellent. 
For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Now, it's very important what is said next. The Bible very clear. Every commentary I read about this said this particular verse shows, the way this is phrased shows that this part is telling you why he did the next part. So here he is at 16 years old. He starts to seek the Lord. This is, it's this verse that spurred my naming of Josiah. I wanted him. I, I hoped that my children would, at a young age, seek the Lord. I will tell you, after being in high schools for as long as I've been, it's right about that 13 to 16 years old that kids really start to abandon just whatever beliefs their parents had and really start deciding for themselves This is what I believe. And you see them many times veering very far off from what their parents believe. And sometimes they veer right into what their parents believe. Here, this boy, I mean, this just ties right, I'm I'm reading this story, man, I totally understand. This young boy, Josiah, says, begins to seek the God of David, this ancestor, hundreds of years before, but he knew. This was the God that David served. I, I think I imagine him maybe being a bit of a dreamer. I mean, a young king. Maybe he said, I want to be like one of the great kings. King David, everybody knows King David. I want to be one of the great kings. What did King David do? He sought after the Lord. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And he seeks after the Lord as a youth. The second half of this verse, verse says this. And in the 12th year, How old would that make him? Eight years old when he started. 20, somebody said it, good. Some of you are going. Um, 20 years old. He's gone from childhood to adulthood. In the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and the metal images. There's an amazing just description of all the different branches of of idolatry that he begins purging out of the nation. So one of the first principles that I pull from this young King Josiah that I urge you in how you speak to the youth of our day. You can come at it a lot of different ways. One way you could say, it's time to grow up. One way you can say, seek the Lord. It's not, you're not too young. If you're even thinking about Ought I to do? Do it. Seek the Lord. Seek after him. The teenagers of today, seek after him. The impact is amazing because he starts seeking at 16 and it's not for another, right? This many years later that he starts to, then he's doing things. And the the Bible is being very specific in this that why was he doing these right things? And I'm gonna tell you, don't you want the youth of today to be doing the right things when they get into their 20s? Don't you want them to be doing the things they're supposed to be doing? Instead of doing nothing? You want to be doing the things that God would have them to do? Where does that start? In these teen years. Seek. This is the first principle I want you to take away. When you speak with the youth of today, talk to them like adults and encourage them to be what they can be in God's economy. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, Back to 2 Kings, we had this 
side little part in Chronicles, back to 2 Kings, because there's something more. Here he is, he's now 20 years old, he's doing these things. But I want you to think about, this is what happens. So now he starts to seek the Lord, he starts doing some stuff, but I want you to notice how God responds to his seeking after the Lord. And if you don't get anything else out of today's message, this next part, I want you to just grab a hold of and realize this next part happens today. I'm telling you, it happens today. And everybody, not everybody, a lot of people miss it, okay? King Josiah, 16, seeking after the Lord. 20, he's doing stuff for the Lord. And it's not until this point when he's doing stuff for the Lord, he starts doing these things for the Lord, that then God reveals himself to Josiah. Listen to how it happens though. I love this. I love this part of the story. So 2 Kings, it says, and Hilkiah the high priest said to uh, Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law. Now, wait a minute. The high priest didn't have the book of the law. He finds it, right? That's alarming. But I love what happens here. So, so Hakai the high priest, he's in there. He finds the book of the law. He goes to this other guy, uh, Shaphan. He says, uh, I found the book of the law. Now, they're renovating the temple. That's how they found it, right? So Josiah said, go renovate it. And so like cleaning out. Can you imagine them like cleaning out a closet? What is all this stuff in here? You know, throwing menorahs and they're like, what, what is oh, this book? And you're picking it up. Wait a minute. We, we, maybe they had some other things. They knew about David. So maybe they had some Psalms, maybe they had some other writings and some historical things. But the book of the law, Moses's writings, he didn't have. And what's he do? He goes, uh, Shaphan, come here. Yeah, Shaphan, secretary, like a, scri- a leading scribe, okay? Think high priest, kind of like a preacher, you know, the priest. Shaphan, like, like a philosopher, professor, Shaphan. Look what I found. Shaphan, look what he does. The guy gave the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan goes, as all good scholars do, I'm reading this thing. Shaphan does this next. Next, two verses later. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Akai the high priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And here's this Josiah who's been seeking the Lord since he was 16. He's 20 years old now. Seeking the Lord, trying to do some things. Let's renovate the temple. Um, but he's seeking the Lord. And how does he find him? Think about what's happening here. God literally says, here I am. I'm going to give you a pastor, a teacher, and a Bible. And I'm telling you what, right now, so many people, even today, they go, I want to find God. And God said, here's a pastor, a teacher, and a Bible. And they go, can't he just like do something else? I have to read. (laughs) Pastor, a teacher, and a Bible. And God says, I'm going to show you something. And so Shaphan pulls him off and goes, listen. And he reads it to the king. He goes, king, you got to sit down. Listen to this. And he reads it. Now think back to some of those things we read earlier. If you do this, blessing. If you do this, the kingdom will fall. Now Josiah, who's 
already seeking the Lord, who is now at the age of 20 is, is doing things for God. You'd think, some of you might think, if he hears this, it, he might have the reaction of like, yeah, let's go out and tell everybody else about this stuff here. That is not what he does. Listen to what he does next, verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, tears his clothes. Can you imagine him hearing some of those things? And if the country departs, then I will do this, and you will be scattered among the nations. And maybe here in the hope, if my people, I mean, he, he had a very big mindset, not just himself, but us, us, us. We've, we've not been faithful. We ought to turn to the Lord. And he rips his clothes, a sign of sorrow, a sign that he's received a reality check. Now, there's another interesting character in here. I think we all know a version of this character, this next one that's going to come into play. Josiah wants to hear it straight. He needs somebody that's a straight shooter that's going to tell me the truth, right? So God's given him the pastor and the teacher. God's given him the Bible. He's heard it. But he goes, I need somebody to just say it straight. He goes to someone named Huldah. She's a prophetess. Huldah, this, I'm not making this up. Huldah is an in-law of a relative of a relative of the guy who manages the wardrobe. I'm not even making that up. That's literally who she is. She's, she's the in-law, she's married to this person who's is related to this person related, who manages the king's wardrobe. I I'm, might be reading between the lines, but I imagine how she's known is because Josiah gets together uh, the, the high priest, Hukaiah, and Shaphan, they get together like four or five other guys and they're all getting together. He goes, I need you guys to go inquire of the Lord, find out. And so here's all these wise men of the city, le leaders, and they go, we need somebody to tell us what to do. And I imagine somebody went, well, you guys know Holda, right? Oh yeah, man, she always just, boom! <laughs> Tells it like it is. She must have had some reputation as one who spoke the truth of the Lord, who they knew. And here are these guys. I just love this part of the story too. These guys, and, and it says that they're, they, it shows their humility that they do this, but it shows that they were penitent and humble and, and submissive to what God had because they, they go to her and they say, tell us what the Lord would say to us. We, we found this. What, what's this mean for us? Holda does tell it like it is. Olda says, you need to go back and tell your king. Destruction will still come. But it won't happen until after Josiah is, has reigned and is dead. God will extend, because of the humility that he's shown, God will extend the kingdom through his lifetime. And it won't happen until afterwards. But the kingdom will still, because of the sin, and he, like the, they mentioned the sins of Manasseh, his, his grandfather, and the way the nation had gone. Josiah then responds. Now, let me ask you a question. At this point, how would you respond? W would you throw in the towel? Oh, good, I see some no's. That's good. Yeah. Be, would you be tempted to? 
Like if, uh, I mean, I'm going to be okay. So, you know, tough luck, kids. <laughs> you can do that. He doesn't. Josiah, like it said earlier, unlike any other king before him or after him, sought the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Josiah then does three, there's three key elements to his response to God saying, I appreciate your humility. I've revealed myself to you. It, this is what you're going to do, and this is what he does. The first thing he does is renew the covenant. He's learned about the covenant now because he's read the law. The Bible talks about him openly on behalf of the people. God, we're we're yours again. I think that's an important element of true repentance, saying, God, I'm yours. God, I'm yours. The second thing that he does is he continues the idol removal very extensively, much more so than before. Super interesting, actually. They talk, it talks about sun gods that some of them had started worshiping. It talks about zodiac um, worship that some of them were doing, worshiping the stars and the, the way these things were. talks about uh, the remnant. In fact, he actually goes up into, remember Israel had been taken by Assyria. He goes up into the remnant of Israel, and it refers to some of those that were still there. He goes up in there to the city of Bethel. Remember those golden cows that had caused Israel to sin? He actually goes up there and destroys them too. He's all in for purging. I think that's another important element of true repentance. Saying, Lord, I'm yours. But then every nook and cranny of your life as an individual and as a people, purge. The third thing that he does is restore the Passover celebration. He restores the Passover. It hadn't been happening. I love what it says about his Passover. Um, before I put up this verse, it, I, I don't have time to talk about all the things I, I could go over again like I did last time. But I, I, I was like, okay, I gotta try to summarize some things here. It actually talks about how he, he and then some of his officials started donating sheep and, and rams and these different animals to all the, it, says, it actually calls them the lay people so that everybody could participate in the Passover. Like, so nobody would be left out. That's Josiah's heart. He's like, man, we got to, everybody, everybody. Wait, you don't have one? Like literally like thousands of sheep, thousands of rams were donated to the people of the land so that they could do this Passover. And then the Bible says of this Passover in 2 Chronicles, no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of, it gives me chills. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. He was around during David's time. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present, so see the remnant of Israel? They were participating. And the remnants of Israel and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year, so in that same year that he found this Bible, before that year is over, he's holding the biggest Passover Man, to have some youth like this. To have some 20-year-olds that simply say, this is what God says, let's do it. Let's do it big. Let's go all in. Let's do it right. Let's do it all the way. Note that Josiah, in doing this, had plenty of support. Do you think that Hilkiah and Shaphan and some of these other could have been like, as sometimes old people do when they see somebody that's young, 
going, man, let's do what God wants. You ever see some old people going, okay. They weren't doing that. They're like, we'll talk to hold if we have to. What do we got to do? This young man had support. They could see that this was God's doing. And they worked together. And the result was the greatest Passover since the days of, say, hundreds of years. America's been around for like 200 some years, right? Think, think, try to think back. Hundreds of years since Samuel's time. Greatest one. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. None of them. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. Josiah's story ends on a sad note. I thought about, I've thought about doing this before, but I thought about having one of our musicians come up and, and, and playing. I heard this illustration when him come up and playing a piece of music. Have you ever heard a piece of music that's, that's flowing along beautifully and then right at the point where it's like, the, the, you start to feel it? You ever have music where you're like, it feels full, full. And all of a sudden, an off-key note is hit. Bang! Right? That's the feeling I get with this King Josiah. So many good things. One of the best kings Judah or Israel had. At the very end, it talks about how from um, Egypt, so Assyria had fallen, the new world power that's rising up is Babylon. Babylon ends up being the nation that comes in and takes Judah. Egypt, when, is, when Assyria fell, it says that they, ri- they rose up to go up, and, and not against Assyria, but on behalf of Assyria, basically to hold back Babylon. Josiah goes, let's go out and stop. He sees the Egyptians coming up there. And actually, it happens in the, the valley of Megiddo, which is where we get the term Armageddon. Like It happens in that same valley where we get the term Armageddon. And, and it happens in this valley. He goes out to try to stop this Egyptian from going up through to do these things. He tries to stop them, tries to interfere. Um, the, the Egyptian actually says to Josiah, he says, why are you doing this against what God would have? Which that... Pharaoh may have been just blowing smoke, but that, that's what he said to him. Josiah is in the process of this. It randomly, is struck by an arrow by some archers. It says he told his person, he said, can you, can you take me back to the city? I've been injured. He's pulled back into the city. Now, he reigned for 31 years. Started when he was eight. How old would that make him? 39. He's taken back to the city, and the Bible just says, and he died and was buried in the tombs of his father. There was another king after him, a descendant of Josiah. His first descendants, three of his sons, his first son becomes king and doesn't last for very long. His second son becomes king. He doesn't last for very In fact, he lasts like three months and is hauled off to Egypt and put into prison the rest of his life. His grandson becomes king, and then he only lasts for a little while. And then um, it says one of his other original sons becomes king, and then he's hauled off to Babylon. I mean, it just fizzles. But one of his descendants, a few hundred years later, is born in a humble situation, not as a king. This, This descendant also takes interest in the temple at a very young age. His mom actually has to go and find him there. Some of you are smiling because you know who this king is. 
His name, who is it? King Jesus lives through his life. He does some temple cleansing too, like his ancestors, the good kings did. He's also killed. But instead of being a sour ending note, he's put into the tomb and he does what no other king could do. He defeats sin and death and rises up again. He is our king, King Jesus. He's the king of our nation. When we want to be like Josiah, it's not to be a king ourselves, it's to look to our one true king and say, Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, give us a a pastor, a teacher, and a Bible, we'll do what it says. That's what our King Jesus is calling on you to do today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, so much for King Josiah. Thank you for all that he did for his people. Thank you for the example of a, a good king. Lord, it's inspiring to hear what he did and all the lengths that he went. Lord, it's heartbreaking to hear the, that sad ending to the story that it wasn't able to go through all the way and to know that nation fell. But Lord, one of his descendants, King Jesus, is now sitting on the throne on high at the right hand of the Father. Lord, I pray that you help us look to our King Jesus as our Savior, but Lord, also as our our hero of all that we do in this life. Lord, give give us a preacher, a teacher, and a Bible, Lord. We want to do what you say. Help us to hear the word, to read it, to absorb it, and to be obedient, not just in little, little ways, but Lord, as big as you would call us to do. In Jesus' name I pray these things, amen.